to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing the topic of taming toxic plants. To discuss this, I'm joined today by Dr. Derek Scasta, who's a rangeland extension specialist with the University of Wyoming. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, happy to talk to you, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Scasta, I saw a press release come out oh in early April talking about the series that you're doing focusing on toxic plants and rangeland and pasture and, and just some good management practices that producers can utilize to reduce the risk of loss related to livestock grazing those toxic plants. But before we dive into that topic, just tell us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role now with the University of Wyoming as an extension specialist. You bet. So I was born in Oklahoma and I grew up in Texas and was exposed to to ranching and agriculture a lot through my grandparents. My grandfather had a commercial cow-calf herd and I was always really interested in that and, you know, showed in, in FFA and worked on a few farms and ranches. And then I went to Texas A&M and got a degree in range management. And I worked as a county extension agent around Texas for nearly eight years. And then I decided to go back later and get a PhD at Oklahoma State University. And that was in kind of range management. And there was a grazing component, some prescribed burning. And and in that, we had a plant that had some alkaloids. That plant's tall fescue. And there's some potentially big issues with fescue toxicosis. And so I started to get interested in that topic. And I moved to Wyoming in 2014 and have been kind of working on these types of issues off and on, but we've been working on those increasingly um, with some partnerships with uh, USDA, and that includes Ag Research Service in Cheyenne, but also the Poisonous Plant Lab over in Logan, Utah. And a lot of that work has been on Larkspur, and Larkspur is one of the most toxic plants to cattle in the West. And I also teach uh, a poisonous plant class here at the University of Wyoming, and I've been teaching that for three years now. And I wanted to put out more information for our producers because it, it can be a big issue. So really, uh, it's one of those issues I, I enjoy working on because because it's very interesting and it can be a very pressing problem when something comes up. So the series you've developed, and there's a number of videos available on YouTube, if people want to find those, they can just put in a search engine, Taming Toxic Plants YouTube, and and your series of videos pop right up. But just share with us a little bit about some of the topics you've already covered, uh, some of the plants that you think are key for producers to know in terms of thinking about them being a potential toxic. Uh, Here, thinking about cattle, some of these are toxic to cattle, but not to sheep or goats. Uh, just share with us some of the key plants that you've already covered, as well as ones that are upcoming. Yeah, so this is a YouTube series on the University of Wyoming Extensions channel. And so if you search YouTube, you can either just search for University of Wyoming Extension or this uh, playlist name, Taming Toxic Plants. And I just wanted it to be maybe something that folks could remember. And so the other strategy was, you know, often we put out print publications that are really long and really in-depth. And I want to be more strategic and I get a lot of information from YouTube. And if the video is less than five minutes, I'm even more likely to watch the whole thing. And so I wanted to to put these things out in kind of bite-sized chunks that get to the point and uh, hopefully get, you know, a, a broader impact for producers and range managers 
you know, not only in Wyoming, but the adjoining states like Nebraska. So um, on there, I've, I've tried to be uh, timely as we've rolled this out. And I've had thought about doing this for several years. And I got an email from um, a gentleman over in Rollins, Wyoming, with the Weed and Pest District. He was asking if anybody had a video on death camas. And he was concerned. We've gotten a lot of snow in that area. And death camas is one of those plants that can be the first plants to green up um, early in the spring. And, and so that can be an attractant to grazing animals. And so I thought, well, Derek, I better better get on the on the stick here and get after it. And so we started to roll these out. So some of these are are timely because these are problems that occur right now as we come through the spring and into the early summer. And so I mentioned death camas, uh, for example. Death camas is in the Liliaceae family or the it's a lily essentially. Um, it's often been confused with a, an onion, a wild onion. So sometimes humans are poisoned by it as well as they're foraging around. But it can be very deadly to cattle and sheep. And so that's one of those that we rolled out. We also have a video about grass tetany. And again, that's an issue at this time of the year when we have lush growth of our cool season grasses and we can have um, suppressed magnesium and calcium in the blood. And again, that can be a very fast acting problem as well. And so those are two very timely, you know, videos that I think, look, if there's something to be aware of right now, it's it's examples like that. So if you're, you know, say putting cattle out on wheat pasture now, then, you know, uh, grass tetany something to be aware of. If you're grazing some of this foothill kind of country where there might be death camas, and we have a lot of a lot of that right here in the Laramie Valley, you know, that's something to be aware of as well. One other plant that's really important right now is larkspur. Um, so larkspurs are in the genus delphinium. Some of the listeners may know delphiniums because those are often planted as a horticultural plant. And delphiniums are actually one of the most poisonous plants for cattle in the Western United States. Cattle are very susceptible to the alkaloids, which that's the, the toxic constituent. And so those are some of the topics we're, we're trying to get out. So in this too, Aaron, you know, I want to make this, you know, digestible, no, no pun intended there, but I want folks to be able to just listen to a few minutes of information. And so some of these break down even simpler, just talking about like common toxins that occur in plants. And so that's how some poisonous plant literature gets organized. It's by the, the chemical constituents. I organize it more around the plant because I think that's what I think about and ranchers and range managers think about. But we have a video talking about alkaloids, which are really common. And Aaron, I'd ask you, do you ever consume any alkaloids in your life? I'm sure I do. Probably don't realize yeah. it, but uh... yeah. So, so common alkaloids that we use as humans are things like nicotine, caffeine, and even morphine in medicine. So, you know, we, we kind of strategically use these, but that's just a way to give folks an example to understand what some of these are. Well, Dr. Scasta, before we got on, we just talked about some of the conditions we're looking at this year. And as we talked about it, we just mentioned that, you know, there's times, there's circumstances, as you mentioned early on, a lot of snow cover and death camas being early to come on. But just share with us some of the circumstances that typically enhance, or I should say, increase the probability that livestock may consume a toxic plant. You bet. And I think it's important to remember that prevention is going to be more effective than treatment. 
So understanding what we're going to talk about now, Aaron, is really important because if we can recognize these scenarios where we might have a higher risk, maybe we can avoid it before there's you know losses that occur. So prevention is critical. For poisonous plants, there's really kind of two things that can play into this uh, potential risk of poisoning. The first thing is, is range condition. What are the relative availability of those desirable plants, but then those plants that are potentially toxic? Okay. And of course, that's kind of my realm. You know, how are these plant communities changing? So if we have pushed a pasture really hard with our grazing, we've had really high utilization, we might be selecting for those plants that are less preferred, right? We've grazed a lot of the desirable grasses, they're depleted. And some of these things, some sometimes shrubs can be poisonous, like uh, greasewood. It can uh, accumulate uh, or contain oxalates. If we've reduced those things that animals prefer to eat, they're still going to fill their rumen every day. And they might be more susceptible to eating those, those toxic plants. And so sometimes that might be a, a management issue. You know, it's our own grazing management but that can also be confounded by rainfall, precipitation. So if we are in those years or multiple years of lower rainfall and reduced grass production, some of these poisonous plants, they're really resilient. You know, they're, they're perennials. Uh, plants usually don't like to eat them, so they've been avoided for a number of years. And they might have a greater relative abundance in those drier years. And that may be what we're we're facing, um, for example, in the eastern third of Wyoming and certainly stretches of Nebraska, uh, Colorado, and western Kansas, for sure. Now, that's range. That's the range management side. On the animal side, there's also this timing issue. So when we're putting cattle or sheep or horses on pastures that have plants that might be problematic. So one of those issues is grass tetany which is a problem now when we get potentially lush growth of our cool season grain type grasses. And so those are plants that we don't usually think are poisonous, right? They're very desirable forages. We've often planted them, but we're going into a time where they're, they're growing very rapidly and there can be some cal calcium and magnesium issues. So we have to go in with a really high level of awareness for those cattle on those cool season grass pastures. And what that means is we need to check those cattle daily, sometimes twice a day, and we need to be ready to treat those animals because it can be acute and fast acting. Okay. So that timing issue. One other timing issue that's important is our reproductive management and when those reproductive females might eat a potentially poisonous plant. Let me give you an example of that. There's another problem with pine trees and this disorder called PNA or pine needle abortion. And this is essentially the intersection of late gestation cows eating pine needles um, when we get late winter storms. So what often can happen is, and this happens a lot in, let's say, the Black Hills region, uh, maybe the Pine Ridge type of, of region of, of Nebraska, we're in that final third trimester of gestation Maybe we're calving a little bit later. We've been trying to push that back and we get these late snowstorms, very heavy, wet snowstorms. We have these ridges on these pastures that have ponderosa pine trees. Well, those cows will shelter up under those trees 
And while they're there, their intake of pine needles will go up. Well, pine needles can have this ICA or isocupressic acid, and that can cause problems in the developing fetus. And it can either cause those cows to abort, as the name implies, pine needle abortion. If it happens late enough, the, the cow may still have the calf, but the calf may be delivered early and it might be weak and need some supportive care. And then that cow can have some problems like retained placentas and infections. So timing is really important um, relative to when we're going to places with plants that might cause problems. So touch base a little bit with us, as you mentioned, timing, just thinking about things like larkspur and, and timing of use of pasture where maybe larkspur is prevalent. Anything there you would encourage producers to think about? So larkspur is a, a really unique plant, um, especially as we think about its palatability and then its toxicity. Okay. So usually for larkspur plants, um, palatability early in the spring is low and toxicity is really high. And that's a little bit different than say for grasses where palatability is usually higher early in the spring. So when larkspur is in the vegetative stage, cattle don't really like it. As a matter of fact, sheep don't like it, Aaron. We've been trying to get some sheep uh, to graze it outside of Cheyenne, but its toxicity is really high. So it has um, toxic alkaloids and early in the year, they are as high as they are going to be. As we go through the season, the toxicity starts to decline because the plant has greater material. So they're kind of diluted in the plant is, is my understanding. And palatability starts to come up. So as those plants start to flower, they become more attractive to grazing animals for some reason. And then we get what we call the toxic window, okay? And that is when the palatability of those plants has increased enough that an animal now wants to eat it, but toxicity hasn't diminished enough to make it a low risk situation. And so when that happens in that toxic window, that's the period when the risk is greater. And so we can think about our timing of grazing and either try to graze pastures earlier when those cattle and sheep really don't want to graze it, or later when its toxicity is really declined. Now, the other thing about larkspur that's really interesting to me is sheep have a four to six times greater resistance or tolerance to those alkaloids. And so there's these anecdotal reports from ranchers that used to have both cattle and sheep, that they would graze sheep first and then cattle would follow that sheep grazing. And so it was kind of multi-species grazing, you know, those sheep are basically eliminating it or reducing the relative abundance of the larkspur, and then cattle are coming in behind it. But it is such a problem here, Aaron. We have a species called Plains larkspur or Geyer's larkspur. It's nearly endemic to Wyoming. Um, it occurs in a few counties of Colorado and Utah, probably a few counties in western Nebraska. But, you know, that plant right there is very toxic. And uh, we're trying to do this multi-species grazing deal, but it's a timing, timing issue. Dr. Scasta, what other plants would you encourage people to think about as we move through the summer? Ones that uh, maybe would come on later that they should be aware of as well that could be a toxic issue. Yeah. So there's a number of other plants and, you know, there's, there's books that are really long about the, the many, many number of plants. You know, there's a number of potential problems for horses that can occur it's it's kind of minor, but it's really interesting. And and so if horses graze on yellow star thistle or Russian knapweed, and those are in the in the same genus Centauria, and they're both exotic weeds, but 
horses' brains can essentially be affected, and it's almost like Parkinson's in humans, you know, so that's one to be aware of because oftentimes we might have horses in, in horse pastures, so to speak, that get a little bit beat up. They might be more at risk of invasion from those plants. So I would I would say you want to be aware of those. We've already talked about larkspur. We've talked about death camas, pine needle abortion, grass tetany. Those are all important. Something folks really also want to think about, and, and these don't cause mortalities, but they cause deformities in calves, and that's going to be our lupins or our lupines. Now, those are generally a problem really up in the northwestern United States. So think Washington, Oregon, Idaho, parts of Montana. But I spoke with a woman at Wyoming Stock Growers in our winter meeting, and she was in eastern Wyoming, and she said, oh, yeah, we have some real problems with um, lupin causing what, what's called crooked calf syndrome. Well, crooked calf syndrome manifests in the front limbs of those calves. So they'll be born, but their front limbs will be bent and then their spines will also be curved. Those animals can survive, but they certainly aren't, you know, as effective in moving around large pastures. And so, you know, the outlook for, for grazing them on bigger countries, pretty poor. So I'd be really aware of lupins or lupines. There are some plants that accumulate selenium, um, those can include like some milk vetches, loco weeds, and selenium accumulation manifests in like the hooves and the hair and the, the mane and the tail. So if we have selenium accumulation and poisoning, you know, those animals will appear lame. Their, their feet hurt. They might have some sloughing of the hooves, loss of hair. So those are plants to be aware of also. And and those often occur in soils that are high in selenium. So if, if you're aware that you've got some high selenium in your soil or you have some of those, those plants, I would be aware of those. You know, the other thing that's a big, big issue, and I, I haven't covered this one so much, but that's the problem of nitrates. Um, nitrates in hay. So when we have um, hay crops, some cover crops that are stressed, so maybe they're drought stressed, maybe they've had a lot of fertilizer, they can accumulate nitrate. Nitrate gets converted to nitrite and nitrite is very toxic. And so, you know, that's something to be aware of also. So if we go through extremely dry conditions, some plants that would be really susceptible would be some of our sorghum grasses and some of those things. So those growing conditions on some of those plants that are usually good feed, you know, can cause problems with nitrates or, or prussic acid. Those are things to be aware of also. You mentioned nitrates. And one of the things that I sometimes see here in Western Nebraska is, you know, we'll see weedy species like kochia, things like that, that move into usually adjacent to farm ground or things like that. Uh, some pasture or maybe a pasture that's had some place where there's been some feeding historically. Uh, those plants can be nitrate accumulators as well. And so while they may be desirable in terms of cattle will eat them fairly readily, uh, there is the potential that those can cause problems. Russian thistle uh, would be another one yes. that comes to mind on that. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. Kochia, Russian thistle, those also can. And, you know, sometimes those will be associated with disturbed areas where we might've been farming too, or roadsides and things like that. So, you know, that that's a certainly a good point. And and to that, and this whole like, you know, digestion of nitrate and being converted to nitrite and then ammonia and then ultimately protein, this is a bigger problem in ruminants than non-ruminants like horses because horses, you know, they're a, a sequel digester. They don't readily convert nitrate to nitrite. So they're not as susceptible 
So, you know, in those cases, you, you got to consider that as well. But yeah, there's a number of species and that's, that's important because, you know, sometimes it's, it's not the plants that we think are poisonous. It's sometimes plants that we're not that worried about. We're like, oh, that's probably a, a positive plant to have in our, in our suite of options for grazing. But those ones at certain times of the year um, can be problematic and things like nitrates. And this is really important. Those are acute and very fast acting. So sometimes the first symptom on some of these is dead animals. And that's a hard thing to, that's a hard pill to swallow, Aaron. You know, it's like, I didn't even know they were having problems and we got some dead, some dead calves over here or whatever. So if we think we've got issues like that, we want to be checking those animals very regularly because we don't want the first you know symptom to be uh, mortalities. One other thing I want to mention, Aaron, and that is the challenge of toxic plants. Toxic plants are kind of like bears and wolves. Okay. So we, we have bears and wolves in Wyoming and they certainly predate and kill cattle and sheep, but not every ranch loses cattle and sheep to those large carnivores, but the ones that do, it is a significant loss. And that's the same, same thing with poisonous plants conceptually. Not every ranch is dealing with losses to poisonous plants, but the ones that do, it's significant. So I've been on the phone with a bunch of ranchers over the last month, and it's been interesting. Probably, I don't know, 20% of the ranches, just in conversation, they will mention a poisonous plant problem, but they don't just mention it once. It comes up in the conversation five or six times as a major constraint. Those specifically have been larkspur or pine needle, you know, pine needle abortion issues. So, you know, it's important to, to consider that. You know, some of these issues are hard because we might have animals, you know, out in some very large pastures where it's going to be hard to move them to pens or to a veterinarian. It's going to be hard to get a veterinarian out to them. So when we have, for example, potentially larkspur poisoning, we might have a, an animal that's recumbent. Okay. It's, it's immobile, essentially. And our first instinct is to get that animal up and maybe herd it down to the corrals or to the trailer. And this animal doesn't want to move. So what happens when those animals don't want to move, Aaron? What's the what's the next tool in the toolbox? Yeah, we usually try to get them up with whatever method possible. And usually we also feel a sense of urgency because we want to get That's that right. animal to the veterinarian. So we move quickly. Right. And that probably is the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. That's it. You're exactly right. You know, we're, we're getting excited. We're concerned. We're, we're hollering. We're, you know, got the, the rope out or the cattle prod, you know, really trying to, to get them up. We're, we're tailing them up, you know, all these things. Well, some of these problems are problems happening in the blood and they can affect the heart. And when we excite those animals, you know, with good intentions, we're trying to get them to a place where we can care for them. It can, exacerbate those symptoms and cause more rapid death. So we just got to be really careful. Nitrates can be that way. Larkspur can be that way, where ultimately our efforts can just cause death much more uh, quickly. And so for the example of Larkspur, you know, there's a, a drug called neostigmine. If you're grazing pastures that have Larkspur, you know, you may want to have that on hand. Um, there's also some supplements available that claim to reduce Larkspur risk and poisoning. And interestingly, the poisonous plant lab over in Logan's working on that. And they think there could be something to it. It, it binds up those alkaloids and keeps them out of the blood. 
So, you know, all those strategies, we just have to be integrated in our in our toxic plant strategies, our management strategies, because yeah, we don't we don't want to get to where we have dead animals and it's a it's a very reactive, you know, situation. We want to be as proactive as we can. Anything else on this topic you'd like to highlight today? No, I, I just hope this is of, of use to people. Depending on the year, uh, I think that's maybe the take-home message. Depending on the year, the risk can go up. And so if folks are in, in a drier situation, just remember the relative availability of more desirable forages is reduced. And so those animals might be more willing to eat something that's toxic. And let me give you a final example of that. We've been grazing sheep on Larkspur over near Cheyenne to see if they'll reduce Larkspur before cattle grazing. And in 2021, we had a, a wetter than average year. In 2022, we had a drier than average year. And as we watch these sheep, and I've got some graduate students, and they do bite counts. Um, and, and so they're observing what these sheep are selecting. They're documenting what we call encounters. So if a sheep walked up to a Larkspur and clearly it was nosing it, you know, it was right near its mouth, but it chose not to eat it. And then we also count bites. In the wet year, they were more likely to nose through a Larkspur and avoid it. I don't know, anywhere from two to one to five to one, right? So five encounters per bite. In the dry year of 22, it was almost one to one. So that just drives home that point of the, the forage availability is reduced. They're going to fill their gut. They're going to fill their rumen and they might do it with plants that are problematic. So we got to have greater awareness in, you know, certain conditions. So um, I also hope that the YouTube series is helpful to people. And Aaron, if folks have an issue that they've encountered, you know, let Aaron know, let, let me know, because we want to address that. Uh, we want to put out more like case studies. This is what we're seeing. But then if there's a plant you have questions about, let us know because we want to we want to get as much information out there. Some of these documents are they're handy, but, you know, they're dense. So hopefully this is another way to get information out to folks more real time. Well, thanks for your perspective today for putting these videos together. I think something that a lot of people are going to be able to relate to and I uh, just appreciate your efforts here. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate you guys as our neighbors to the east and all that uh, UNL Extension does. It's a it's a great outfit. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to look up Dr. Derek Scasta. Again, he's a rangeland extension specialist with the University of Wyoming. And the series that he's been doing that's available on YouTube is titled Taming Toxic Plants.